Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, hello to the folks online. Um, glad to have you guys with us. We hope you're blessed by this time. And uh, we hope to see you guys soon. We really miss you guys. Uh, but it's great to be back in person today. It's a great morning, beautiful morning to open God's word together. Um, as you guys know, we're working our way through Hebrews. And Hebrews has been just a rich text. I hope you guys feel the same way. Just tons of application for us. And so really excited to jump in today, finishing up chapter 3. We're going to be talking about uh, both a warning and a command this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, crack those open to Hebrews chapter 3. And if you guys remember last week, Ben walked us through unfaithfulness, which leads to restlessness, and really just the importance of finding true rest in God. Now today we're going to build upon that and discuss an important command to exhort one another. So we're going to be talking a lot today about exhortation. Now if you guys remember, Hebrews is a sermonic letter written to the Hebrew Christians and it's exhorting them by exalting Christ. Remember that? Ben walked us through that in week one. Exhorting them by exalting Christ. And our focus today really is just, as I mentioned, is going to be on exhorting one another both to fight well and to finish well. So to fight well and to finish well. Now Hebrews contains at least five warning passages. And we saw the first in chapter 2 and, and Martin did a great job of unpacking the danger of drifting away by neglecting our salvation. Ben started to unpack the second one last week uh, and started talking about the danger of unbelief leading us to fall away from the living God. Um, so those are sobering, sobering words from last week. But today we're going to continue to look at this warning, focusing on how unbelief leads to a hard heart and eventually disobedience against God. So we're going to kind of walk through that progression here in a second, um, but we also focus on how we're called to encourage one another as Christian brothers and sisters, uh, really to hold on to our faith. And so while challenging, I think this is really going to be a fun passage for us today because we see the power that we have to come alongside each other as we persevere to the end. And so we're just going to jump in uh, to verse 13. If you look at verse 13, the first word you see is the word but there. And that's, uh, that's really good news coming off of chapter, uh, verse 12 that Ben talked about last week. If you guys remember, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from a living God. Now, this is an important word in scripture. Um, but is often used to introduce the message of grace and compassion. And so I'm going to uh, flash up just a couple examples of this today. Uh, Genesis 6-8 is the first one, and if you, it's a pretty familiar verse to you guys. So the Lord said, uh, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Ephesians 2-1 says, uh, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Um, so we see the same thing today in verse 13, starting in verse 12. I'll start back in 12, which says, and Ben talked about this last week, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, 
So that really, that is God's grace and compassion that he provides us community to exhort one another in our Christian walks. Here we see that God lovingly shows us the contrast between verses 12 and 13. He's saying, hey, there's a better way here. We don't have to fall away from the living God. And he provides us an alternative with exhortation through Christian brothers and sisters. So what exactly does exhortation mean? Most of you guys have probably heard this word before, and you probably associate exhortation with the word encourage. And that's really a good way to think about it. When the Bible talks about encouraging one another, it means to teach, to comfort, to strengthen, or to spur on. So to teach, comfort, strengthen, or spur on. But exhortation also means to strongly urge or influence. To strongly urge or influence. And we can't miss this part. In the Jen Wilkin video that the women are going through, uh, she says it this way. She says, it's the permission to say, stop it. It's the permission to say, stop sinning. The permission to say, don't choose that anymore. And this really is the side of exhortation that, that's in, I love you, Christian brother or sister, but this isn't the best thing for you. So let me give you guys just a real-world example of this. Um, at my work, we just implemented a tool called Bonusly, and it's a really neat recognition platform. And so what, what happens is any employee can give points to another employee and recognize them for something great that they did throughout the week. And one of the best times for me during the week is when I get to pop into Bonusly and I get to read all the cool things that, that people said about one another. They encourage one another. Um, but one thing I also have to do as a manager is I have to give uh, annual reviews. And so if you're in the audience and you have, have to do these, you probably know where I'm headed with this. Um, you know, I, in those reviews, I get to point out things that people did that are really good. I get to encourage them and tell them all the great things that they've done. But I also need to provide things for them to work on, things that need correction, um, I have to provide specific examples of times when they didn't meet expectations or they made a mistake. And that part is not so fun. Um, I need to constructively tell those people on my team to stop it. Um, and so, again, that's not so fun. If I only gave people on my team good feedback, um, you know, that would be, that would help, that they would stop growing uh, as, as employees, and that's not fair to them or to the rest of the teams. The truth is that we really need to hear both of these things, the good and, and the not so good. And we need to be willing to speak those things, the good and the not so good, into each other's lives. And we'll talk about this more as we get into the text this morning. So just a couple questions to, to start out. When was the last time that you exhorted someone? When was the last time you encouraged them? When was the last time you said stop it to someone in a loving way? And when's the last time you received exhortation from a brother or sister. Um, I'm guessing that most of us, myself included, are more comfortable giving and receiving encouragement. Remember the teaching, the comforting, the strengthening, the spurring on. Um, but what about lovingly urging and influencing one another to turn from sin? I think this side of exhortation is harder and it just doesn't feel as good if we're being, if we're being honest. But the truth is God uses us in one another's lives to keep us from drifting and to fight unbelief and sin. And my hope today, uh, really this is this is what I'm anchored on, my hope is that after today we'll all feel God's call to exhort one another more. And again, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone this morning. So why is exhortation so important? As we saw last week, we need to take care lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart 
leading us to fall away from the living God. And we'll talk about unbelief here in a minute, but here's the sobering reality. The unbelief leads to a hard heart that is deceived by sin. Unbelief leads to a hard heart that is deceived by sin. But there's good news for us, believer. Here's the main point I want us to anchor on today. Exhortation, which we just talked about, exhortation helps us fight well and finish well. So we need to be a community that comes alongside each other to to, to love one another and exhort one another. And as we'll see, the reward for fighting and finishing well is a life that's shared with Christ. And we're going to unpack that as well. So first, exhortation helps us fight well. It helps us fight both unbelief and sin. So I want to unpack unbelief and sin for you. The first thing we see is exhortation helps us fight well against unbelief. And uh, Martin, did we get the graphic? (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So we have a graphic. uh, I just want to pop this graphic up about a cycle that starts with unbelief that I'm going to reference a couple times throughout our time today. So first we see unbelief is, uh, here on the left, is really the root cause of sin, kind of over on the right side of this graphic. And uh, the sin is the symptom, which is typically the thing that we see, that we can see. But the unbelief is the root cause, and that's typically the thing that we cannot see. It's something that we're not believing about God that leads to a hard heart, which typically leads to contempt, apathy, anger towards God, which typically leads to disobedience or sin and consequence. And so I'm going to walk through this a couple times today, but this is why the author of Hebrews provides his readers with an example of unfaithfulness and exhorts them to be faithful. Now, he knew his audience really well. The author of Hebrews knew his audience well, so he brings up this familiar story, and we've seen it a couple times already in Hebrews. It's the story of Moses and the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. And this was a group of people that had seen, Ben touched on this last week, had seen miracle after miracle as, they, as he rescued them and brought them out of slavery, starting with that initial rescue by Joseph, the ten plagues, the pillar of smoke, the parting of the Red Sea. All these Israelites had seen God's faithfulness. Yet scripture references ten instances of unbelief from the Israelites after they left Egypt, after they'd seen all these wonderful things from God. Now, they didn't believe God would provide them water. They didn't believe God would provide them with food. They didn't believe God would give them victory over the people that were living in the promised land. And what did their unbelief lead to? We see in verse 15, it led to hard hearts that rebelled against God. Now, this led to sins of discontentment, grumbling, complaining, quarreling, and not trusting Moses or God. And here's a sober reality, friends. This sin ultimately led to consequences all but two of the over one million Israelites over 20 years old were able to enter the promised land. Now to give just a bit of context, Canaan, the promised land, was an 11-day trip by foot from Egypt. But that first generation of God's people wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and they ultimately died there because of their unbelief and lack of faith. Now, remember the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews were also struggling with unbelief and struggling to hold on to their faith, too. This story would have struck a chord with them as, as, as they're, turn, they're contemplating. Their turning back to Judaism would have been like the Israelites wanting to go back to Egypt. And friends, how often do we do the same thing, forgetting what, what God has done? We're almost a year now into COVID, 
And, and so how, how often do we just find ourselves forgetting and, and questioning God now about all those things he showed us pre-COVID, right? We do the same thing. Next, I'll focus on the author provides an exhortation toward faithfulness. And this is really important. Remember, exhortation helps us fight well against unbelief. Now, it's important to look at the opposite of unbelief to understand what the Israelites were walking away from and what the Hebrew Christians were drifting from. So, important point, faith is the opposite of unbelief. I'm going to say that again. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. And in verse 14, we read, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. The original confidence here is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must continue to walk by faith and trust and obey God daily just as we began our Christian life by faith. Important to note, faith is not just mental, but internalizing the truth about something to the degree that it starts to reshape how we see reality and we start to act on it. So it is believing something, but more so believing something to the point of acting on it. And that's a really important distinction. All right, kids, this is a fun story, so uh, you guys can pay attention. In the summer of 1859, a man named Charles Blondine, some of you guys may have heard this story, a French acrobat, strung a tightrope 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls and proceeded to walk back and forth between Canada and the United States, which is pretty awesome. Huge crowds looked on in shock and awe, and I, I even read a story, I think he charged a quarter to these people to come watch this, which was a lot of money back then, but they were just like, yes, awesome, go. Um, so so he, he just kept one-upping himself. Charles proceeded to walk across on stilts, he rode across on a bicycle, he even carried a stove, and sat down halfway across and made an omelet for himself. And I, I can't make that up. Um, on another occasion, he walked across backwards and returned, pushing a wheelbarrow blindfolded. Now, then the story says he asked the audience if they thought he could pu- push someone across in that wheelbarrow. What do you guys think? Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, all the hands shot up. Yes, you could totally do that. We've seen you do all these things. Well, then he asked for a volunteer. Hmm. Radio silence, right? All the hands dropped. Um, and this, this really is a good picture of the difference between what we sometimes think of as belief or head knowledge and, and true faith or heart knowledge, which really is belief in action. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews was exhorting his readers to hold on to their faith, to take action. Exhortation helps us fight unbelief and put our faith into action. Friends, I'd love to just to take a moment now to reflect, and there's going to be a couple times throughout today I, I ask us to do this. I'd like for you guys to consider any areas of unbelief in your life. Just jot those down or text those to yourself or, or make a mental note. I really want us to have something in our minds. This will become relevant later when we do, when we do communion. Um, we're going to continue to look at that progression of unbelief to sin Um, But it's important to realize, as I mentioned, that the root cause of that sin is unbelief. So what are you not believing about God right now? That's the reflection question. Are you not believing God is in control of COVID? Are you not believing God can save the non-believer that you've been praying for for so long? 
Are you not believing God will provide for you? Are you not believing that God can restore a broken relationship in your life? So again, please note anything you're feeling. Jot it down, text it to yourself, make a mental note. We'll come back to that in a bit. But keep in mind, exhortation helps us fight well against unbelief. And we can point each other to instances in the past where unbelief was holding us back. We can encourage one another to hold fast to our faith. We can remind one another of God's faithfulness and character. We can tell each other that you're believing this, but this is what's true about God and who you are in Christ Jesus. So, Martine, if we could pull the cycle graphic up again. From unbelief, we see that eventually leads to a hard heart is the progression, then ultimately to sin. Um, but there's good news for us, us here too. Exhortation helps us fight well against sin in our lives. And this is such an important aspect of Christian community. And if we're being honest, it's something that's not done really well in most churches. And, and why is that? Because it's really hard. <laughs> it's hard to rebuke people that you love. To say, stop it. To say, stop sinning. To say, stop. Don't choose that anymore. It's much easier to encourage, to lift up. But friends, it's necessary and critical for us to individually and collectively thrive in Christ. This part is so necessary and critical for us. So why is it important for us to collectively fight well against sin? The short answer is sin leads to brokenness and consequence. But before we look at the consequences of sin, I want to look at the condition for sin. Sin stems from a hardened heart, as we saw in that graphic. Ben talked a little about a hard heart last week. But it's, the, heart, the heart is super important. The heart is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. The heart is the center of a person's personality, intuition, feelings, emotion, choices, and thoughts. So we saw this back in Proverbs, if you guys remember. There were a number of verses on the heart. Uh, but one in particular, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's the point? The point, the heart is a big deal. So a hardening of the heart is a big deal. A hardening of the heart is a heart that becomes dull or unresponsive to God. Now the writer of Hebrews knew the danger of a hard heart for these Hebrew Christians that were struggling to hold on to their faith. So if we look at verse 13 again, we see, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Two verses later, the writer reminds them what happened to their ancestors in the wilderness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. And again, friends, the rebellion led to sin and death, and the Israelites were unable to enter the promised land. The writer paints a vivid and relevant picture for his readers of what happens when hearts become hardened. And it's a stark warning for them about the dangers of unbelief leading to a hard heart and sin. And honestly, friends, the same is true for us today. Think about times when your heart has become hard towards someone else. Once your heart hardens, typically what happens is it hardens against God as well. And the result of a hard heart, anger, apathy, contempt toward that other person and toward God, 
that eventually leads to sin. And as we see from the passage, there are consequences to sin. We're going to look at verses 16 through 19 here. And it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So instead of entering the promised land and the rest of God, almost all the Israelites died in the wilderness because of their disobedience and sin. So friends, why is sin so hard to resist? In verse 13, the writer calls it the deceitfulness of sin. Sin looks good to us. I've heard it described in fishing terms that made sense to me. Uh, It's like the hook uh, with the bait on the end. So to the fish, it looks like a little tasty meal. Uh, But they don't see the hook, which digs in and ultimately leads to death. And that's a great metaphor for sin in our lives. If we look at James 1, verse 14, it's very similar. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The moral of the story is we need people in our lives exhorting us, warning us not to eat the hot dog on the end of the hook. Sorry, people that fish in the audience. I use hot dogs because I don't fish a lot. Don't eat the hot dog. All right. Another important aspect of sin that makes it hard to resist is that most times it's a very isolating effort. We're reluctant to confess or bring others into our sin. And I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a a phenomenal quote about this. He says, Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. And that's true. The enemy wants us to struggle in our sins by ourselves because he knows how hard the fight is on our own. But friends, that's where exhortation helps us fight well against sin. As the writer says earlier in verse 13, exhort every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that's why we need to invite others into our sin struggles and exhort one another to repent and believe what we aren't believing about god and god tells us in james 5 16 another great verse for us today therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed Now, friends, we cannot miss this. It's absolutely critical that we take this seriously. Exhortation helps us fight well against sin so we won't have to face consequences. Now, many of you know the story of King David with Bathsheba, which led to him murdering Uriah to try to cover it up. Many of you also know that David repented, went on to write many of the Psalms, and glorified God with the rest of his life. What you may not know or remember was that it took David over a year to repent, and it was only after the prophet Nathan came and rebuked him. As we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, God speaking through Nathan recounts all the ways that God had blessed David, and yet he sinned against his Lord. 
But I love this. We're going to flash this up. I love David's response in verse 13. After Nathan has rebuked him, he immediately says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you guys to go read Psalm 51. And it's essentially an apology letter from David to God, asking for forgiveness and repenting for his sin. Now, I love the second half of verse 13. Immediately after David's confession, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then immediately after that, it says, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Friends, that's a beautiful picture of our Father's love and mercy for us. David sinned, was exhorted by a friend, repented, and God immediately showed mercy and grace to him. And that's a great example of what healthy Christian fellowship and exhortation looks like. Now, it's worth noting that it took a lot of faith for Nathan to step toward a murdering, sin-covering king to call him out. And it takes a lot of courage for us to lovingly confront each other, even if we aren't facing such dire consequences as Nathan was. So church, uh, second, second point of reflection today, where has unbelief turned into sin in your life? Is it apathy toward God? Is it anger toward God or someone else? Is it addiction? Just like David it's important to acknowledge that we have sinned against God as the first step toward repentance and forgiveness. And just like David, we need to be okay if someone lovingly points out our sin and points us to the cross. That's what Christian exhortation looks like. And just like David, we have a God that desires to pour out his grace on us. So please hear this too. Please hear this too. It's important. It's important that we call out sin, but it's also critical that we remind each other of who God is and who we are as believers in Christ. Exhortation helps us fight well against sin. And friends, that's good news, and we all have a part to play. So we've looked at how exhortation helps us fight well against both unbelief and sin. Final thing this morning to look at is how it helps us finish well in this life. As we've seen throughout Hebrews so far, this group of Hebrew Christians was struggling to hold on to their faith. They were drifting. They were falling away. But just like exhortation can help us fight well against unbelief and sin, exhortation helps us finish well. Finishing well is the result of persevering. This is so relevant to us and such an important aspect of Christian community. We all go through ups and downs in our personal lives and our walk with Jesus. Sometimes we have it all together. Other times, everything is falling apart. It's at these moments when things are falling apart that we can start to question God. And that cycle that I showed you guys earlier, it starts to take shape. That's exactly when we need to come alongside each other. So why is perseverance so important? It's vitally connected to our faith and our rest in Christ. As we look at the text, we see perseverance is the result of faith. So if we pull up verse 14 again, it says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. Now, Ben touched on this last week, but just to reiterate, I don't believe that someone who's truly put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can lose their salvation. The Bible is clear about the soul condition for salvation being faith in Jesus Christ. 
But I also believe God will persevere those who he has saved to the end. And that's us. That's you. Um, son, daughter of the living God. That's you. And God will use us to exhort one another to persevere. And we'll see this later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I love this verse. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And that's a perfect passage for this morning. The race for us is this life. The finish line is when we take our last breath. Now, the writer is encouraging the Hebrew Christians and us to hold fast to our faith and run with perseverance during this Christian life. Now, we don't know if we're on mile marker 2 or 26 of this marathon, but as we remain faithful and persevere, we will show Christ off and glorify him with our life. And when the race is over, Friends, perseverance results in rest. Rest for the Israelites represented a specific place. The promised land represented rest and security from enemy attack and the land that had been given to them to go about the work of building the kingdom. But as Ben pointed out last week, rest isn't just a specific place. It also represents blessing and enjoyment of God's presence. And if we look at verse 14 again, we see, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. What does it mean to share in Christ? Some translations say to partake of Christ, and this is really important. To partake of Christ means to be connected to Christ in every way. So his suffering, his obedience, his life, death, resurrection, victory, power, work, glory, ministry, and destiny. In short, to share in his accomplished work for our salvation and his current work as our exalted great high priest, which we'll talk about here in a couple weeks. Friends, that's the rest that we need. We need it daily and we get it forever as we persevere in our faith. This rest is much better than a land that's flowing with milk and honey. This is the very presence of God for eternity. Now, some of you guys know how much I love the Meredith Andrews song called Worth It All. And the band's actually going to play that uh, here in a few minutes, which I'm super excited about. Uh, but I want to just read you guys the chorus of that song. It says, I let go of all I have just to have all of you. And no matter what the cost, I will follow you. Jesus, everything I've lost, I have found in you. When I finally reach the end, I'll say, you are worth it all. Now, I think that song, I think of that song when I think of perseverance uh, and finishing well and to the eternal rest that we'll get with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Few of you know this, but Amanda and I uh, had trouble getting pregnant for over a year when we first started trying to have kids. And we were struggling to persevere in our faith. There was unbelief. Everything, that whole chart that that I showed you earlier, there was unbelief. There were hard hearts. There was anger towards God. There was sin throughout that time. But the one constant was a community of friends and believers that was praying for us and exhorting us along the way. They would point us back to who God was and who we were as children of God. They would remind us of his goodness and his sovereignty. They would be there to let us vent and to cry with them. In short, they helped us persevere persevere through a very difficult 
season of our life. And on the other side of that, it's hard to imagine going through that without the support. And we're so grateful for the way that God provided faithfully a Christian community for us and for his perfect timing. Uh, now, this passage brought back both difficult and sweet memories about that, that time, that season in our life. Difficult in the sense of recognizing our, our unbelief, that, that chart, our unbelief that led, that led to sin. But, but really sweet in the way that it helped us grow in our trust and our faith in God. And growing, going through that has helped us persevere and trust God now as we wait for another child, our son Sam, to come home from China. And God is using this body to exhort us in that as well. Uh, people are praying for us constantly, reminding us of God's goodness and his perfect timing through that. So God uses people in trials to help us persevere and to build our faith. Exhortation in this life helps us stay faithful and finish well. Friends, are you or someone you know in a hard season where it seems like you're drifting or you're falling away? from the living God? How can you invite others into that, or how can you come alongside someone else in one of those seasons and remind them of God's character and help them persevere? Church, we're all in a season like that right now in some regards, and it's okay to not be okay. As Amanda and I saw in that season I just mentioned, that's where loving exhortation from our church community is so important. Exhortation helps us persevere so that we will finish well together. Pretty straightforward application, friends, today. If you haven't, please jot down or text yourself areas of unbelief or sin in your life. How can you invite others to come alongside you to process and fight that? Now remember that Bonhoeffer quote, don't let sin get you alone. We need to have a group of people in our lives that have permission to ask us hard questions and confront us if they notice red flags. We need to have safe people we can confess sin to. We, when, this is important. When we confess sin to another person, the sin loses its power. The power of sin is in the shame and the isolation that it brings. Now, when we bring that into the light, the power of sin loses its punch. We need accountability to fight sin, and that's hard, but it's necessary. So, so friends, make a plan to do this. If you aren't in a group, please do everything you can to get in a group. And if you're in a group, let's be a church that goes deeper with one another to confront, confront and conquer sin together. Now, John Piper has a famous quote that says, Sanctification is a community project. Totally. Sanctification is a community project. Preach John Piper. Uh, on the flip side, who is on your heart to encourage, to lift up, to come alongside Write those names down or text those to yourself. Another suggestion is to create a reminder or a recurring calendar event that just says encourage and make notes to yourself throughout the week of people that you want to love on. The point being here, there are so many ways we can exhort one another. The important thing is to make sure it's top of mind and that we act on it. So final thing, do these things today. Our text tells us to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. So every single day. Who needs to hear an encouraging word from you today? Who needs to be reminded about who God is today? Who needs to hear a loving stop it today? Maybe it's someone who didn't show up to your group or you haven't seen recently on a Sunday. 
Let's not put this off, church. It's so important that we be a community of believers that is constantly exhorting and pointing one another to Jesus. And there's an urgency to this. The writer of Hebrews uses the word today eight times in the book. The time is now. And I want to just underscore, last thing I'll say today, I want to underscore the urgency. I'm going to finish by telling you a a really fascinating story that I came across while I was putting this together. On October 8, 1871, D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist and preacher, was preaching to a huge crowd, the largest crowd he'd ever preached to in Chicago. It was a sermon titled, What Shall I Do With Jesus Who Is Called the Christ? Now, if you guys remember, those were the words Pontius Pilate asked the crowd, and he was immediately met with shouts of crucify him. So the name of that sermon, What Shall I Do Then With Jesus Who Is Called the Christ? Once he finished the sermon, he told the crowd he would like them to take the text home with them and think about it during the week. And then the following week, he was going to be preaching on Christ's death on the cross, and they could come back and they could decide what they would do with Jesus. Now, as that service was ending, the great Chicago fire started and burned down most of the city. Many of the people in the attendance that were at that service, they died. Then he famously gave this quote. I think it's, we're going to pop it up on screen. D.L. Moody said, I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think about their salvation. If they are lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I have never seen that congregation since, and I will never meet those people again until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you one lesson I learned that night, which I have never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. It's a really powerful story. So first and foremost, if you haven't placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I would be remiss if I didn't plead for you to do that now on the heels of that. But the reason I tell that story is to reinforce the urgency of today. In that case, there wasn't a tomorrow for for many of the people that were in that crowd. So don't wait to ask for help. Don't wait to send that encouraging word you've been meaning to send to a friend. Don't wait to confess your unbelief or your sin. If you have your phone out right now texting someone, I won't even be offended. My prayer is that we would be a community of believers that is constantly lifting each other up, coming alongside, reminding one another of the truth about who God is, and even saying stop it when necessary as we look to fight and finish well until the end. And remember, getting to the end, being partakers of Christ together for eternity, sounds to me like it's worth it all. Next week, Ben's going to be back to to build upon the dangers of disobedience as we crack open chapter 4. So looking forward to that. Would you guys pray with me, please?